0: I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter number 5, Ephesians chapter number 5. We'll be looking this morning at verses 3 through 7, and I do want to read the first seven verses again, but dealing primarily with verses 3 through 7. We covered verses 1 and 2 last Sunday. I'm certainly glad that the meaning of that last song ought to take such a great hold upon us to stop and to consider what our worth really is. And our worth is certainly not in anything that we own. It's not in anything that we can bring. Our worth is found in Christ and His righteousness and what He has done. And because of those great truths, it ought to remind us about our walk, how we walk before the Lord. The Apostle Paul has been instructing over the last chapter and even into the introductory verses of chapter 5, the realities of how a Christian, how a believer ought to walk. Remember, chapters 5 and 6 are very much the practical and uh, the very practical sides of this particular letter, along with much of chapter 4. But let's read again, beginning in verse number 1 and read down through verse 7. Paul writes, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. I want to draw your attention to the expression found at the end of verse 3 we'll take for our subject this morning. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. I want to think on that for a moment. As becometh saints. Oftentimes the word saint is misdefined in our society. Uh, It is misconstrued, misapplied in many churches. People believe that saints are perfect in their walk, which means they never do anything wrong or that they can attain some kind of sinless perfection. A saint is one who is in Christ. A saint is one who has been washed in the blood of Christ. A saint is one who has been converted. A saint is not a perfect person. Uh, A saint is not a person who is not guilty of sin. Uh, On this day, when we think about mothers, uh, we often hear the expressions, my mother was a saint in some cases. And what our intent was is that she's just perfect. She always does what's right. She always never does wrong. There is some truth to that statement if she's in Christ. She is a saint if she's in Christ, but she's not a saint because she's perfect. And Paul is not aiming at walking in perfection, but he is aiming at a walk that should characterize the life of every believer. Paul gives very specific admonitions against certain actions, against certain thoughts, and against certain types of speech. The Bible does teach that there are things we are to abstain from. I know we live in a society where It is a don't tell me what to do society. And sadly, we have churches that say, don't tell me what to do. It's between me and the Lord. And you are absolutely right. Your actions, thoughts, and speech are between you and the Lord. However, it is not, the Bible's not silent on it. The Bible does tell us there are things we should abstain from and there are things that we should do, hence our walk. Paul is exhorting us to live according to God's word. Now it should go without saying that everyone in this room today, if you're in Christ, should want to live according to God's word. The intent this morning is not to bring guilt or shame upon you in the very sense of what those words mean. It is simply just to draw you to the draw the attention to what God's word has said. Paul gives us a list here, uh, a list of things that are generally characteristics of those who do not follow Christ. So Paul has in mind here, here's what generally those who are not followers of Christ do, and here are those who are generally followers of Christ, here's what they do. Paul deals with some very weighty subjects. There's no way around this. Paul deals with the ideas and the principles and the walk, uh, the sin of sexual immorality. He deals with uncleanness, he deals with covetousness, and he deals with other things that we in our society may call them uh, temptations or vices. But Paul's point is primarily to get us to an understanding to avoid them because they should not characterize the walk of a saint. They are things that should not be associated with someone who is a saint. Hence the word Paul uses, as becometh saint. I don't have to tell you, we live in a world that is actively and intentionally engaged and encouraging sin. Um, Sin has become almost blatant to where we simply, there is no shame. Sins are being promoted. Sin is coming across um, our our devices and our hands. It's coming across, it it is there. There is an intentional desire to encourage people to sin. Uh, It's it's shocking for me to say this, but there is an intention by non-believers to tempt believers into sin. It's intentional. It's not accidental. It's an intent to have you trip and stumble. Uh, We often just chalk these things up to chance, that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody just was trying to encourage me to do something that I knew I shouldn't do. It Most likely was not a by chance encounter. It was an intentional thing. You see, the anti-Christ, the anti-God, wants God's people to stumble. It's not there to make you more Christ-like. It's there hoping that you will stumble. Paul is really giving us two main ideas here. He's, he's first of all, and I think this is where John Owen in his book, Mortification of Sin, really began to see this process. Paul is teaching us that we've got to mortify temptation at the very first hint of it. When the temptation shows up, we need to mortify that temptation. We need to kill that before it moves into sin. Don't even allow it to get a small foothold. Don't allow it to get a part of the very fabric of who you are. And I think Paul, along with everything else that he says throughout Scripture, he would instruct us to run from it. I don't think it's enough just to simply say I don't want to get near that. I think the principle is there scripturally that we should run from the very sight of those things that God says are not things that are becoming of saints. Notice Paul says, not only has become a saint, but he says, let it not be once named among you. It's a very powerful statement he makes there. Don't let it even be named once among you. Now I know many people today think that believers are the dullest of dull. They are the society of boring. They are the people that don't add anything to society because they don't want to do the things that the rest of the world wants to do. And I will tell you, that that is not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is not encouraging, hey, be dull, be, be uh, unfriendly. No, he's just saying there's a certain way you should walk that should characterize your life that's different than the life of people who are not in Christ. Jesus' followers are to be characterized, Paul says, instead by the giving of thanks. Verse number four, we'll expound this a bit further but he says that you should be marked mostly by your giving of thanks. Giving of thanks to what? Thanks unto God. Our lives ought to be lives that are filled with joy, not because of the prohibitions against what we can't do, but because of the joy we have in knowing Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has in mind here. Our speech is to be seasoned with grace. Our speech should be profitable. Our speech should be thoughtful. Paul is teaching us in this passage how we honor God through the way we live. Plain and simple, this is what becomes saints. These are how saints are to live. Now again, Paul deals with very weighty matters. In verse 3 he says, fornication and all uncleanness are covetousness. Let it not be once named. Paul preaches directly against these things which are Sinful and unbecoming of a saint. The follower of God that Paul refers to in verse number one is to be an imitator. It's the imitation of our Father, it's the imitation of God. The love of Christ is what can constrains us to live this way. It's not some form of legal following. It's not our our legalistic idea that's saying, I, I do this because God says to not do it. Yes, we should not want to do what God has told us not to do, but understand something, these are not things that the followers of God should be involved in. We're constrained, we're compelled, we've been arrested by the love of Christ. We do those things because of His love for us. I don't look at God and think, God, why are you keeping me from these things? I don't look at my life as a follower of Christ and say, you know what, why can't I do all the things that the world can do? Why are we so restricted? But rather, I meditate and think upon the love of Christ for me. His love is so much grander than anything you think He's keeping you from. Nothing this world is offering that's, that's against God, is against Christ, is worth it. But Christ's love is worth my all. Just the fact that he loved me and died for me and saved me from my sin ought to be my motivating factor to be a follower of Christ and to walk as he's told me to walk. Now again, these are terminologies that you're not going to hear in the world. you You don't hear words like fornication. You don't hear words very commonly like uncleanness and covetousness. They have different definitions in our society. But Paul, when he refers to these phrases and these words, such as fornication, he's talking about the sin which is committed between unmarried people, people who have not followed in the way God has said things should be. It's contrary to God's way. It's the work of the flesh, and it's referred to as a sin against a man's own body. Paul said that should not even be named once among you. These sins and the sin of fornication, it, it, it makes people unfit even for the fellowship of the church. It brings temporary or temporal uh, consequences, it exposes them to the wrath of God. And Paul very strongly talks about an exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't want to misunderstand what Paul is saying, we'll just go there. Paul is not saying if a person has ever been guilty of this sin that they are excluded from the kingdom of God. He's talking about a person who dies in this sin apart from the grace of God, they are excluded from the kingdom of God. So a person should not sit here and say, I've been guilty of this or I've been guilty of uncleanness, I've been guilty of covetousness. I guess I'm excluded from the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you die in your sins apart from the grace of God, you are excluded from the kingdom of God. But Paul says this should not be the characteristic in the matter of the manner of our life. The reason why it's often Paul takes notice of this and you you can do some studying on your own about this is that many of the Gentiles remember the church at Ephesus was primarily made up of Gentiles and Jews. There was a common thought throughout Gentile society that there was nothing wrong with fornication. It was part of their life. They didn't consider that to be a violation of anybody. It was their body. They could do whatever they wanted to do. But yet, Paul takes one step further. He says not just fornication, but he says all uncleanness. That defines anything that is what we would refer to as an unnatural lust, something that is against what God has clearly said. And yet, Paul says these are the things that are not be the characteristic of a person who's in Christ. What's fascinating to me, among many other things, is he includes these two that we identify and probably we think on, the fornication and uncleanness. Notice he includes covetousness. In the same breath, Paul, that he mentions fornication and all uncleanness, he uses this phrase, this word, covetousness. It seems to be out of place. It seems to, can that really be considered in the same category as sexual sin? Is that really what Paul was saying? That's exactly what he's saying. He's not differentiating between this. Now we as as churches throughout history, and you can study this, there has throughout history for the most part, most churches have taken a very, very strong stand against sexual sin. It would not have been in common. Even when I was a child, I can remember uh, my pastor very young. There was, from the pulpit, it was very prevalent. We knew about what God said about sexual sin. But what about covetousness? How in the world does Paul bring us from this unnatural lust and bring us into this reality? Is covetousness really that bad? Well, the problem is, is covetousness is a desire for worldly things more than the things of God. Covetousness is not just watching that vehicle roll by and say, I want one of those cars. Covetousness is not seeing a house and saying, look, I, I really want that house. Or seeing a job and saying, you know what, I really want that job. Covetousness is, is having your aim and your walk geared towards attaining the worldly desires and a, an un unsatisfiable desire for the things of the world. In other words, your whole life is marked by getting more of what this world has to offer. Maybe to use an archaic term, but the world and its things is extremely shiny. It's attractive. It's hard to not be taken in by the things that the world offers. It's hard to look and wonder, is this truly all there is? However, covetousness falls into the same realm as lust. Oh, it's not the same, but it is, in fact, an insatiable appetite for the things that this world has to offer. How serious does Paul take it? He says, Let it not be once named among you as become as saints. None of those things that he just spoke about, these things should not be named among us. The sense is that they should not be committed. If they're not committed, you'll have no occasion to speak of them. Even though it has happened all around us. To not be named once is to almost appear as if it doesn't exist. Now again, Paul knows there is not this perfect life. Uh, we can live in the power of the Spirit. We can't use our weaknesses as an excuse. We should desire to live for Christ. We should, we, I, I would encourage you that, biblically speaking, we should be praying to live for Christ's glory, for His honor every single day. We ought to pray for that above our, our provision. We've got a desire to be like Christ more than having our necessary food, having shelter. It ought to be our primary goal is that we want to be like Christ. It's difficult because we understand that the world is not structured around being Christ-like. The world is structured about being self-centered. Fulfill all of your lust. Live life to the fullest. There's only one life. And it's Sad when the world tries to say God wants you to enjoy life so just do these things. That's not coming from God. God's not the one that says I want you to enjoy life so just live like the rest of the world lives. He says no, you should live like a follower of Christ because His love has constrained you. It's made you want to walk that way. It's made you want to live that way. In a world that is so centered upon Bringing pleasure to ourselves in so many various forms. I can't speak this dogmatically, but I don't know if there's ever been a generation who has access to more things to bring pleasure to themselves in every avenue than this generation. It used to be that there was even a sense where you had to look for it. Now it just delivers, it's just there. And again, other generations might say the same thing, that in their day and age, they had never seen anything like that before. I caution us to always say that we are, this is the worst generation of things, because every generation at that time thought that was the worst. Yet I think there's something to be said here, that if we truly understand what it means to be set apart by God, to be saints, a saint who knows that their sins have been atoned for by the blood of Christ. They know the preciousness of what Christ's death on the cross means. They know the preciousness of He who knew no sin became sin for us and absorbed the full wrath of God upon Himself, not for His own sins, but for our sins and even sins like this. So that a person who had once been a fornicator or had been unclean and filled with covetousness, at the cross of Jesus Christ, His blood covers it. See, there shouldn't have to be a convincing of God's people to walk in the right way. Yes, we still have the old man that raises its ugly head. But to imagine having a place in the kingdom of God. To know for certainty that you are in Christ. It ought to affect the way that we walk. Paul goes down this list of these things. Verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. Again, look at what he's categorizing these things. We've gone from what the pinnacle we think is, fornication, down to jesting. Seems like a very far gulf fixed between those two things. Yet Paul is going to say in just a few moments that all of those things connected with the other thoughts, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What are these things he's talking about? Filthiness can refer to filthy conduct, filthy gestures, sinful habits. Any action that has a tendency to excite lust or to corrupt is what he has in mind here. Oftentimes we think we can handle what we hear. We were talking about this one other time. Isn't it interesting? And again, this is I'm just throwing this out there. The idea that the world says we can label something as, for example, adult language. Think about how crazy that think about how crazy that statement is. What exactly is adult language? Their their explanation to you will be, the adult can handle that. You know what the adult language does? Oftentimes, it excites a lust in us. It excites something else in us. We think, well, our kids shouldn't hear that. But we think we can hear it, and it doesn't excite anything in us. Like, we've become so numb to what's around us, that when we hear it or we see it, we just say, well, that didn't affect me. But is that really true? Did it really not affect you? Or did it, in many cases, rise up in impure thought? When Paul talks about these things, he's not just talking about these external things that we can measure. He's talking about the things that corrupt man's mind. Filthy speaking or foolish talking is just simply the commission of things being spoken out, it's the, it's the what comes out of the mouth is what originated in the heart. The Jews referred to it as simply the filthiness of the mouth. Foolish talking simply is, does, Paul doesn't have in mind here that anything that's, uh, that's just silly, but what he has in mind here is that that which is wicked, that which is corrupt, something that's idle, something that's unprofitable. And then jesting, that's an interesting word. Jesting is something that is inconsistent with truth. Uh, It might be making light of the Scripture. It may be making light of one of God's teachings. It's not intended to edify. It's intended to tear down. It shouldn't be used. Paul says these things which are not convenient. Convenient doesn't mean that it's easily accessible. It means it's disagreeable to the will of God. It goes against the very thing of what God's will is. In other words, God does not have in his will that saints should be taken in fornication and uncleanness and covetousness and filthiness and foolish talking and jesting. But rather, he says, these are disagreeable to the will of God. They're unsuitable to people who are my followers. This is pretty simple when it's in its application. but rather giving of thanks. But rather, instead of these things, believers ought to be marked by their giving of thanks. It's much more becoming, much more Christ-like to give thanks to God for temporal, for temporal worldly things that we need, not worldly sinful, but to live in this world. Thanking God for his mercy. Thanking God for his grace. One of our greatest opportunities, folks, is to speak God's grace to people, to speak God's grace to the unbeliever, to live God's grace in front of a world that is watching, whether we want them to watch or not. They are watching. They're watching what we say and what we do. They're watching how we act. And I'm sad that there are people that say, you know, look, if, if you teach these portions of Scripture, you're teaching some form of legalism. This is not legalism. This is just simply what God's Word has said. These are things that are not becoming of saints. Again, I don't answer to you. You don't answer to me or whatever. If you're a part of another church or whatever the case is, you answer to God for these things. It's, it's God who's the one that's putting this out. You know, I could could be seated somewhere in a church and I could say, you know, that preacher preaches on this all the time or he preaches on this. I just think he's being legalistic. You have every right to believe that, but you cannot disagree with what God's word says. God's word just simply puts it there. Paul is doing nothing more than writing what the, the Holy Spirit instructed him to write. Giving of thanks. Use opportunity to praise God. Use opportunity to point people to Christ. And then what could be demonstrated as a pivot point, verse 5, for this ye know. Paul is not introducing something brand new. He's identifying that there are already things about this that you know. You know this, and then you also know what I'm getting ready to tell you. That no whoremonger nor unclean person that is associated with the original people in the list he gave. Those who are guilty of fornication, adultery, the pattern of life that is, in, that is given over to lust. He's identifying that those who are apart from the grace of God are going to die in that sin. But he also mentions nor covetous man, who is an idolater. An idolater or covetous man, they go together. It's a man who indulges his lust. He makes idols of his own heart. He serves his own lust, his own pleasure. He gives himself over to work these things. It's similar to what we read in Romans 1 about the man who just simply ignores God and says, I'm going to do what I want to do. A person who is a true covetous idolater is a person who is never satisfied with sin. They're always craving more. They don't just crave it, they covet after it. They get up every day looking for it. The covetous man is called that idolater because that idolater worships the very same thing. Whatever he's after, whatever he's hoping is going to satisfy his spiritual appetite, that's what he idolizes. There is a whole world out there that idolizes its sin. Again, we realize, and those that are familiar with our church, we realize the message that we're talking about today is not popular. There are some that would say, you know, this is a, this is a recognized Mother's Day. Why, why do we have a mother's message? I understand what you're saying. But I also understand this, that when we go through the Word of God, we're just simply giving you the Word as it is. And maybe today, when we think about what's happening here, this, these are identifying marks of maybe things we need to be reminded of. Maybe this morning we didn't understand about what it is to be a saint. Maybe we need to be reminded that a saint is a person who has repented of their sins and believed and trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Not the perfect person. Look, there are people all around us who, including ourselves, we know they're not perfect and we know we're not perfect. We know that Paul is not just talking about those who have these struggles that arise in their life. He's not just talking about, you know, that time when you, you just found yourself wanting something. He's talking about people whose lives are given over to this. I've tried to warn our families, and again, excuse the repetitiveness, but I'm telling you, no matter how old your children are or no matter how young they are, you need to be on guard and you need to be on watch because there is an intentional desire to get them. And I don't mean to scare you, but that's the truth. If we think this is all by accident, that these targeting things that are happening in our world, there's there's an intentional desire after our families and after our kids. This is not something light that we just simply say, look, I'm glad that's happening. I'm glad it's not happening to me. Every home that attempts to live the glory of Christ, you can consider yourself, there's some form of attack that is attempting at it. It's taking a run at it. It's taking a run at it. And it might come through a medium that you think is innocent. It may come through a, something that you think, oh, that's just harmless. It may come from an impure thought that gets raised in the thought of your child's mind and that child runs with that thought. I think, wow, that's an extreme position. Maybe so. But I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen too many families who there was something that got a foothold in that house. And it was a small thing. It seemed small, it got a foothold. Paul is not telling us because he says, I want you to be miserable. He said, this is the way God has has intended this to be. He's made us to worship Him. He's made us to follow Him. He's made us to walk. This is for the good of our own soul. Think about the time when you actually knew that Christ had opened your eyes to the reality of your sin. Think about when you actually heard the Gospel for the first time. You actually heard the Gospel. Not some general idea of it but you actually heard the gospel and you heard it it was for you when you actually heard repentance and it was no longer why do i have to repent but now you wanted to repent what you didn't want to hear before now you want to hear the gospel tell me what i need to do to be in christ Paul, that's what he deals with here. He says, These things know ye not who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The kingdom of Christ and and of God, it has so many meanings here as far as what Paul had in mind. Of course, we know that we have an inheritance that is coming, we have the fulfillment of all that God has promised. But even today, if we are in Christ, we are a part of the kingdom of Christ. But there is also coming today the kingdom of God that is being prepared for when Christ is going to come again. He is going to set things in perfect order. And this is not a coming that is going to include every single person who lives. If I'm not in Christ, I am the enemy of the cross. I am on the outside looking in. And yet Christ is calling out to you and He's calling out and if He's calling to you to repent and believe the gospel through the Spirit, as I've said week after week, you need to run to Christ as quickly as you can. Don't think about all the benefits and all the negatives because when Christ opens your eyes and opens your heart and makes you willing to believe, you can't get to Christ fast enough because you know at that moment that Christ died for you. I have never in my life regretted being in Christ. I don't look at life and say, what am I missing out on because I'm in God? Perfect living? No, absolutely not. If you could see the catalog of my life, I would be ashamed for you to see it. I'd be ashamed for you to see even the catalog of my life after I knew Christ, because I don't stand here as a perfect person. I simply stand here saved by the sovereign grace of God. And know that I only have access to God because of Christ's righteousness. See, every one of us has got things in our life we know we've not been perfect people. We know it. We know that even some of these wicked thoughts came into our mind maybe today, maybe yesterday, maybe this past week. And what do I have to fall back on? Not my own perfection. I can only fall back on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what He did for me. But yet I shouldn't want to live that way. I challenge myself this week when I'm thinking about this and I'm I'm asking myself, do I even have a hint of a desire to chase after these things? You know, you really, when you start praying to God to ask God to reveal unto you any wicked thing, you know, that's a prayer I think always gets answered. And we don't always like what he puts his finger on. We don't always like the fact that the Spirit points out a thought, points out an attitude, points out something, and says, Listen, that really is not what a child of God should be doing or thinking or saying. I, for one, am thankful that the Spirit has been left to us to convict us of sin. I'm glad that we have a, I'm glad we have the Spirit. But think about again what Paul means here. It's to have this inheritance. Knowing that we have been guilty in some way, shape, or form, either in attitude, heart, or action of every one of these sins he mentions. We've all been guilty of it in some form, and yet we have the promise of eternity and eternity with Christ. Again, Paul, again, he's not saying that anybody who's been guilty of these sins shall be excluded from the kingdom of God, but all who continue to live, and if they die in those sins apart from the grace of God and his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, will be separated and excluded. Now, Paul had a point here. I'm going to wrap this up. He said, let no man deceive you with vain words. One of the great struggles is deception. Deception one of the great struggles we have in our day and age is deception. There are so many things that are labeled as Christ-centered, Christ-like, Christian. And yet, Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by those vain words. Vain words such as, these are small things. God loves everyone, so God will ultimately save everyone. God wants you to enjoy your life. But be careful, be very careful of the deceivers who sound doctrinally right. Doctrinal deception has been and will continue to always be an issue. Things that sound close to the truth but not quite there. Things that sound like, yeah, that sounds like something God might do. Remember, deception is intentional. Intentional. Oftentimes we give people the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe they didn't really mean to deceive me or maybe they actually were intentionally trying to deceive you. And Paul says, but for because of these things, all the things he's mentioned, he says, cometh the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. That might be earthly judgments. It may be eternal wrath. The only thing that prevents the wrath of God is God's grace. That's it. Folks, we stand here today and are seated here today as people who deserve the wrath of God but have been saved by God's grace. God's grace came upon us not because we were looking for it, not even because we asked for it, but because God chose us. Again, don't let that word, don't be deceived. When people say, I only want a God I could choose for myself. I'm very afraid of you. If you think you chose God for yourself, God chose you. You responded in faith. That's the glory of God. That means I can't give any glory to my salvation other than the glory to God. I can't take credit for it. I can't have any part of it that says this is my doing. Because I know what my doing would be. Everything Paul just said apart from the grace of God, would be the characteristics of my life. That's what my life would look like. Folks, I'm never shocked when an unbeliever lives the way they live. I'm shocked when a believer lives that way. I don't look at the world and say, how can we be so depraved? How, can, how could man have been that horrible? But I am shocked when I see it from someone who either A, was a professing believer or was a known believer. And yet, Paul says these things, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't be a partaker in their sin. Don't be a partaker in their act of disobedience. Don't keep needless company with them just because of what that might do. Don't be a partaker by encouraging those same sinful practices. Don't commit the same things. Paul, in conclusion, simply says this. These practices are sinful. No person who walks in this manner as their manner of life without an acknowledgement of the righteousness of Christ has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. A sinful, corrupt life, Paul says, brings the wrath of God upon any, even a religious person. You realize there will be just as many religious people who fall under the wrath of God as there were atheists. There are going to be just as many religious people as there were atheists. It's sobering thoughts. But I want to leave you with the reality that God says it doesn't have to be that way. Don't be a partaker. Live with the love of Christ constraining you. Don't live to be a saint in in, in your own doing. Live because you have been made a saint through the blood of Jesus Christ. My only motivation every day ought to be to live for the glory and praise and honor of God. Not to live for myself. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Life is extremely difficult at every stage. And I, I, when I see people who do not have the hope of Christ, folks, I don't know how people live in this life without Christ the things I see and the things I hear and the things you see happening. And when you think man can't get any worse, Christ is my only refuge. That song we sing, Christ, our sure and steady anchor. It reminds us that all of our hope, all of our trust and all of our faith is in Christ. Paul just simply says, don't be a partaker with them. Walk as a person who's in Christ. Our closing hymn this morning is on 104. Familiar hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We'll remain seated. We'll sing that hymn together. And then we'll stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. There's a line in this song that reminds us being prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. Let's think on those thoughts, taking into account, of course, the message we've already heard this morning. 104, come thou fount of every blessing.